The world will forever remember the Easter weekend of 2019, when a particular virulent strain of avian flu finally breached the species barrier and hopped successfully to human hosts, or, perhaps, was deliberately released in an act of bioterrorism. The contagion spread devastatingly quickly in the modern age of high-density cities and intercontinental air travel and killed a large proportion of the global population before any effective immunization or even quarantine orders could be implemented. Those who witnessed the outbreak could only describe those affected as zombies. <clears throat> Recorded live in front of a grown man's toy dinosaur collection, in an apartment so empty you'd think it'd been burgled, you're listening to help... I'm wearing a suit. Hello, I'm Dan Childs. And I'm Ali Adams, and this is Help, I'm Wearing a Suit, a weekly chronicle of our haphazard attempts to live a life less ordinary. Woo! Welcome to episode 24, Help, It's a Zombie Apocalypse. <laughs> yes. Yes, listeners, this weekend, thanks to a suggestion from my good friend, Hannah, we spent 24 hours seeing what it would be like to live during a zombie apocalypse. The intro you heard just there was taken from the opening paragraphs of The Knowledge, How to Rebuild Our World from Scratch by Lewis Dartnell. It was our intention to live by every word in that book, but because this is your favourite haphazard podcast, I started reading it, realised it said words like atom and chemistry more times than Dan has ever said them to me in nine years of dating, and promptly decided not to... So, <laughs> everything today is from a whole bunch of library books about prepping and online research, and an accidentally read article about prepping for a colonoscopy that randomly popped up on the first page of results when you search for extreme prepping. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Several paragraphs in before I realised what I was reading about. Oh dear. Yes. So Insightful, I would say. Good to know. Just in case. Just never know, do you? Nope. So you've probably seen Doomsday Preppers, National uh, Geographic TV programme on Netflix. Yeah. Prepping for the end of the world is nothing new. People have been predicting the end of the world since, well, the start of the world. Nice. <laughs> but for those new to this, here is a Wikipedia definition Ooh, of what favorite, a prepper is. favourite research source. Always use Wikipedia, boys and girls. A person who believes a catastrophic disaster or emergency is likely to occur in the future and makes active preparations for it, typically by stockpiling food, ammunition, and other supplies. So I have a few takeaways slash summary of this wonderful book that Hannah introduced me to. Yeah. Gonna say she's never read it or she hates me. Why don't you enjoy the science? Come on. <sighs> so... Summaries. Not one person knows everything, so you need to draw on all available resources. It's true. The available information in libraries and on bookshelves isn't accessible unless you are educated in that specific field. And the books you can understand wouldn't be enough information to do anything meaningful. So, for instance, you could get by day to day finding food and shelter and keeping yourself going that way, but you wouldn't be able to rebuild civilizations such as bringing back cell reception and creating meaningful energy resources. I see what you mean. So this book, The Knowledge, is meant to be an accessible guide setting 
the more complex things up, creating your own energy and your water filtration systems and um, methods of communication in this new world. And being able to do it like on the long term, I guess. Exactly. Uh, It really is about rebuilding, not surviving. I see. Hence the science. Constant science. Yeah. Should we go through what we worked out we needed to survive? So. Regardless of it being a zombie apocalypse or not. These are the things you need. I'm pretending it was a zombie apocalypse because I am obsessed with zombie apocalypse films. Yeah. I mean, it's a good good reason, is any right? And it feels feels not real enough that I would actually kind of scare myself, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's no point worrying about, like, I don't know. The end of the world by financial crisis or tsunamis. So fundamental elements that you need in order to survive. Go. Food. Water. Clothing. Building materials. Energy. And essential medicines. Nice. So I found that a lot of survivalists, people who like to pretend that they are survivors, like Bear Grylls, they live by what's called the survival rule of three. So here... It's kind of split into segments and of different things that you need to survive. Kind of similar to what you just went through, but a little bit more simplified. So some people like to start out with, uh, you have three seconds without making a decision in a life-threatening scenario, or you will die. Ooh, so that's not long. Some people don't include that because it's a bit stressful, Let's right? just count out three seconds, though. One. One, two, three. That was a fast second. Oh, okay, go on. One, two... Three. But I think the point is, like, if you were getting attacked by a angry zombie, you have three seconds to make a good decision of which direction to run in, for example, or you will die. Okay. And then, then you've got three minutes to survive. You will survive for three minutes without oxygen. Fair enough. Most people can hold their breath for about a couple of minutes, and then they'll start passing out. Or you'll survive three minutes... In frozen water, so if you fell into like an ice lake, you've got about three minutes to get out of that. <sighs> and then get yourself into some shelter. I feel like you'd have less time than three minutes. Because yeah. it's so cold. Well, you've got to be out by three minutes and then you've got to be into some fire and blanketing oh, yourself. Oh, so up. damn. Just you heard it here, guys. Fire. Just out of the frozen water and just jump in a fire. Yeah, it'll equal itself out. <laughs> <laughs> you can survive three hours without shelter brackets in harsh conditions so this includes like making a fire to keep yourself warm making sure you're sheltered from nasty winds and rains and hails and stuff keeping yourself dry so those two are the main two things but this might also be like keeping yourself out of the sun you have three days that you can survive without water as long as you have oxygen and shelter and you haven't fallen in a lake yet (laughs) and then jumped in a fire and it's also approximately the amount of days you'll be able to survive if you don't sleep Ooh. before you start going delirious and then you can't make those good three-second decisions anymore. Um, and then you can survive about three weeks without food as long as you have all of the other things that I've already mentioned and you haven't fallen in a lake. <laughs> good to be clear. Yeah. So guys, just don't fall in a lake because that seems like the hardest, well, the easiest way apparently to the according to these rules of three, that you're going to die. So yes. sort of set out your survival tactics. Well, I take your rules of three and I raise you facts about food. Ooh, facts During about apocalypse. food. Average size supermarket could sustain you for 55 years or 63 if you eat the canned pet food. Ew. Boom. 
Does that mean, so you're the only person that can use the supermarket food? There's just one person? Yes. You'd be pretty lucky in an apocalypse scenario. To have an entire supermarket. Have, yeah, there's pristine supermarket mm. that's still... Freshly stocked. Yeah, freshly stocked. Lots super- of pet food. That no one else is... No. I'm... You're going to get an extra, like, eight years out of that. Yeah, it's true. You can deal with it at that point, aren't you? Potatoes can last up to six months if stored in a cool, dry place, and rice for five to ten years, and canned food can last for decades as long as it's not damaged, ah. including pet food. Lovely. Honey is one of your favourite things that people will say. Scientists say. Ooh. Scientists have found perfectly preserved honey in the Egyptian pyramids, even at over 3,000 years old, that honey is still edible and safe to eat. Wow. Honey's high acidity and lack of water helps it last indefinitely. That's incredible. Is that real? Yeah, probably. I th- Well, high acidity food lasts a long time anyway. Okay. Um, but yeah. It's, uh, yeah, didn't realise that, but I can believe it. Okay, good. Because I fell down it's very this... sugary as well, which is quite good. Yes. I fell down this research rabbit hole and then I was getting onto websites that were like full-on prepper websites and I wasn't really sure if it was like actual fact or real so good to know one of the most versatile ingredients you can buy in bulk is baking soda while not super exciting this extremely cheap ingredient is perfect for making homemade toothpaste freshening up your fridge because that's what you're worried about. Oh, yeah, when, you're, when your zombies are attacking, you've just got your... Guys, hold on! Your portable fridge. <laughs> but at least my fridge is fresh. Yeah. Uh, for, I don't know, things, zombie snacks and something. But you're not going to use a fridge, because all your stuff comes in cans, or is just honey. Look. Oh. Or potatoes, and you don't want to... If you were super rich, and you were living place. in your super fancy high-rise bunker... You might worry about the smell in your fridge, you know, if you've got mm. guests coming over and stuff from Bunker True. 5 down the True. corridor. True. Washing your counters. Yeah. Baking soda is great for that. Removing stains from your clothes or, you know, all that zombie blood. Yeah. Gotta be careful. Well, if you, like, watch The Walking Dead, they're always rubbing zombie blood on themselves, so... Because you have to rub it on yourself? Oh, apparently the smell makes them not eat you or something. Oh, so you really want to be washing it off then. Yeah, but then you like you might just not, you might want to keep it on the whole time, right? Yeah, maybe you're having like a fancy dinner one evening. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I'm going to just shed my zombie, zombie suit. suit. Nice. Yep. Pop on my... My fancies. Sure, that's what you call it. Stock up on baking soda and don't throw it away because it will last you multiple years without going bad. You can test your baking soda to, de- to determine whether it's still good. Just add a few drops of vinegar to your baking soda and see if it bubbles. Woo! Science! science. What science is that? Um, chemistry. No, okay. I was going more specific. It is chemistry. Yes! I was going to go for it's an acid-base reaction. What? Do you really actually thought I was going to come up with that? Yes. Wow. You have high expectations for me. Do you know how gas comes off? Why are you asking me things I don't know? I don't know. Carbon dioxide. Come on, bring, me, bring me some science. Am I doing some Showing science? off now. Okay, so I went a little bit different. Like, we're going to take a nice big tangent away from, uh, like, how to actually survive the zombie apocalypse. Would you say it was like a, a three-second complete turnaround of direction? Yes, I'm going to go with that. Zombies are coming towards you. You were like, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to learn about these zombies, right? There you go. So I did some research into if it is truly possible for a zombie apocalypse <gasps> to actually occur. So a lot of the information I got 
was from an interview with a professor uh, from Harvard Med- Medical School, um, who's also a psychiatrist, Dr. Stephen Schultzman. <laughs> um, you just give yourself a thumbs up. Yeah, well, I was proud that I could pronounce it and I could also read my own handwriting yeah, here because it's a bit of a scrawly. That's the amazing thing yeah. here. That is nonsensical. <laughs> so he is now known as Dr. Zombie in parts. Um, I wish for you two, were Dr. For Zombie. two reasons. One, he's written a book that's called The Zombie Autopsies, a secret notebook from the apocalypse, which is now being made into a film. So it's a fictional book. But it's his idea of like his scientific knowledge making the zombie film or the zombie story ap- apocalypse become more scientifically plausible. Because at the moment he basically says it's not that plausible. Like there's a, there's an idea of the zombie waking up from the dead and coming out of the ground because of a virus is not very plausible. So he wanted to readapt it into something more different, which that I'll get into. So cool. And guess what I'm doing right now? I'm like desperate to run out of the sound booth and go and see if they have it in the library because I want to read it so bad. Yeah. And it's made, the film's going to be directed by um, the guy who did... Yep, the guy, the man. The Night of the Living, or With Dawn the of the Dead. Face. Can't remember. Didn't think it was important. Barbara Romero. Yeah, that's the one. Yes. But he also has um, started a program, like a learning program, uh, called STEM Behind Hollywood, and he's done this with um, Mayan Bialik, the lady from um, The Big Bang Theory. You know, um, the one that plays Amy. Oh, who's, she's a natural scientist. Yeah, she's got a PhD in neuroscience. So they use, they're promoting like real world uh, concepts that are behind some of these. Um, movie plots they're using that to promote science in schools and stuff and promote STEM which is science technology engineering and maths in schools so using films to bring that those two things together which sounds really interesting but people were scared of science yeah so one of the things that they used was the idea of the zombie film so this is why what a great idea he's known as Dr. Zombie Um, so his preface to all of this is zombies are not real they cannot come back from the dead like it's not possible once you're dead you are dead boo but he's what, as I said, he wanted to make a zombie-like creature that was more plausible. Um, so he looked into the the characteristics of a zombie and what what would have to be affected in the zombie to make them be like that. So, for example, they when they walk, they walk really slowly, have a weird shuffle, weird gait, which means that they would have to have problems rooted in the cerebellum in the brain. So that would, con- and that's the part of the brain that controls your motor skills and your balance so the virus would have to affect that part of the brain um <clears throat> they're not very clever the zombies are they? they you never see them do anything smart really they just aim in one direction True. so that means that they must have damage or an abnormality in their frontal lobe they're also quite impulsive and that's again due to the front damage to the frontal lobe the virus uh, must also have an effect on the ventimedial hypothalamus um, because they've got this overwhelming sense of hunger and they find this really hard to explain because it's not normal for I think for like a human to keep wanting to eat once they've already true. eaten I actually never thought of that in zombie so, movies they're just constantly eating yeah it's bizarre isn't it yeah. so the, the virus has to affect this part of the brain because that would give you a sense that you're still hungry mm. um, and then because and you, they're always quite angry as well um, they have to have an overexcited amygdala 
So that's all the brains that are part of the brain that the virus must affect. It's a very complex to create virus. a zombie. Well, this is the thing you said, like the virus would have to be able to travel to create such a pandemic as well. And the idea that the virus spreads through a bite quickly across the world is very, very unlikely. So you've got to think of things like rabies to compare it to, because mathematically, or you can model it mathematically similarly to a rabies bite, but rabies doesn't spread very fast. Because when it's bitten, or when you've bitten someone, that, that incident can be isolated and quarantined really quickly, and the root cause can sort of be found. In order to create a pandemic that you see in all these zombie films, the virus has to be an airborne virus. There'll be no other way to create such a massive effect on the whole world. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting because um, it'd have to be transported in the air to actually move around that fast. Yeah, so the virus has to encompass all these factors in order to truly create a uh, zombie apocalypse of real human beings and that's not a virus that anyone knows about so that probably means or that exists in any sort of form at the moment that would affect all those different parts of the brain so any true way that we would get that is in a form of bioterrorism or human horribly made virus that got released which would specifically be able to target these things those four four parts of the brain would have to be targeted Mm. and it would be able to be spread by there sounds feasible to me yeah and then he talks about like more about like why it's good, why it's interesting to uh, um, watch zombie movies. And he says a lot of people like the zombie culture because of like it brings people together, it gives people a sense of cohesion, working as a team, and all that sort True. of thing. Um, which yeah, I thought was quite good. And apparently, it's statistically, um, or there's an increase statistically in people watching horror movies uh, on a uh, zombie themed movies. Um, when the world is in an era of economic crisis because Ooh. it represents the idea of the total of the system like going into complete shutdown. Wow. It's quite interesting. So people That's like watch horror films because of their surroundings and what they're interested in at the time. Subconsciously. That's yeah. incredible. My favourite uh, science fact to date. Ah. Oh, bam, bam, bam. Bam. Science. Wow. I went for a new song. No, it's awful. I, guess, I got uh, my new fact in. And I got the best fact. And I wanted to elaborate on that. Okay. Well done. Thanks. Many congratulations. <laughs> so, this weekend, as I said, we spent 24 hours living out as if we were in a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, we did. So, Saturday morning, we went and hired a car because we don't have a car. Yeah. and Bad preppers. We need a, we need a bug out vehicle. Oh, I was going to say BOV. I'm trying to throw in some of the um, oh. the terminology that they use in I didn't the, realize that the prepper it was, film. I didn't realise it program. was abbreviated to a bob. Yep, bob. Got to get your bob. And we fled to just outside of Harrison Hot Springs, which is about a two-hour drive outside of Vancouver. And we drove past the town and up a 20-kilometre dirt track. Yeah, it was like a forest service road. Yeah. So it's literally like... Terrifying. Um, terrifying seems... I it mean, wasn't. I mean, it was just like, in terms of like, going up and down hills, cliff drops on the side. That's true. And there was no zombies chasing us. I mean, so there I was think no zombies. So on the terrifying level. Fast, yeah. 
And uh, yeah, we got to our location, which was a campsite, and it had beautiful camping with a view of the water on the beach, or you could camp in the trees. And there was no cell reception, so it felt very authentic. Yeah, there was basically no services apart from a drop toilet, so it was you were really out in the in the sticks. Yeah, completely cut off from civilization. The twenty kilometer dirt track means that you know zombies are going to find it hard to come find us it's going to take them a while to get there it's up a hill so we should see them coming yeah and there's like hills surrounding you as well so they're going to struggle to like get over the hills and stuff and you need water on one side so and there's a very noisy waterfall that is right by the campsite which i think would play very well into it would attract them in no, I think oh. it would help you to cover the sound of your own voice. Oh, that's kind of what I meant. Noises. So they'd, they'd head towards the waterfall rather than towards you. Or perhaps just not at all, because waterfalls don't sound like humans. No, but they like noise, don't they? Do they? I don't know. Fact? Some do. Maybe they just, and then they fall in the waterfall and just float away. Sure. So... <laughs> That's Dan's very passive way of dealing with the zombie outbreak is to just like gently coax them into the water. Yeah. No violence here. Yeah. They're all humans. It's fine. So we had our tent, we had all our camping supplies, we had our makeshift first aid kit. Yeah. We had our bear spray. We did have our bear spray. We spent at least half an hour practicing what to do if we saw a bear before we left the apartment in the morning. We did. Get big. Get big. Make yeah. loud noises. Calmly. Calmly. Wave your arms. Assert yourself. Yes. Back off slowly. Yes. And if you need to, don't just willy-nilly spray little poor little bears in the eyes. If you need to, use your bear spray or throw little rocks at them. Well, it depends, doesn't it? So, always use your bear spray. It's very important. Like, well, if you're getting attacked by a bear. Yeah, Not always. Don't use it unless you really need to, guys. But if the bear's coming to get you, use your bear spray. But it depends on the type of bear, isn't it? So if it's a black bear, which is like quite a common bear in Canada, that's when you throw rocks if it starts attacking you. Because they're, if they realise that you're trying to fight back, they'll probably get put off and they'll just become less interested and won't think they need to Ugh. harm you or eat you or anything. So much effort. Um, but if it's a grizzly bear, you don't want to do that. Because if you fight a grizzly bear, they'll just get really mad and they'll fight you more. So what you have to do if it's a grizzly bear, if it actually starts coming to attack you. I got this information from a very uh, trusty, trusty website called theartofmanliness.com. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, so Sounds get, like a wonderful website. Yes. I mean, it just told you about bears. Um, you should cover your neck and go into like a fetal position and hope that the bear just leaves you alone. If it's a grizzly bear. And you know it's a grizzly bear because they have really stocky shoulders a big hump on their shoulders which is used um, to uh, pull out um, roots and stuff when they're trying to find stuff to eat so they've got really big shoulders or also for slashing at their prey because they've got massive hands and they're just oh, bam they're like the gym goers of the bear community yeah they're pretty ripped good for them yeah that was bears what I should have really been we should have been concentrating on zombies, but I feel like yes. the real threat at the time could truly have been a bear. Yes, so and it's always, well. <laughs> it's always good to root yourself in reality when pretending to escape zombies. 
Well, also, they never bring that up in zombie films, do they? Like the other things that are dangerous. Yeah. Apart from like a lot of like like Walking Dead, then the, the zombies eventually become not as dangerous as the rest of the humans that are trying to kill each other for supplies and whatnot. But they never focus on like the fact that they're wandering through the wilderness and there might be a poisonous snake there. Exactly. Or there might be a big angry bear or whatever. They don't seem to care about that. They're just like, yeah, we'll camp wherever. It's all good. Yeah, the zombies are just another thing that are out to kill you in the middle mm. of the wilderness or wherever you're trying to escape. Exactly. Um, so my contribution to preparing for a zombie apocalypse is I was just going to bring the art of telling the time this to is our, strong. My, my new community that I was going to be. I was going to come up and I was going to be like, guys, welcome me into your community. So really got into these rules of three that we were trying to get into telling the time. Telling the time, I don't understand. Oh, did I miss a joke? Okay, I was just being sarcastic. Ugh. So anyway, I learned how to make my own sundial so I could tell what the time was in this post-apocalyptic world where you know maybe you need to know what the time is. Well, maybe for some reason, maybe the zombies are time dependent. Like they only attack during. Working hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nine to five. <laughs> then they go off down the pub and they're yeah, like, they're like I've had enough brains today. The man. Oh, Ugh. the man. Making us work for brains. Exactly. Yeah. So if you want to make your own fun sundial to tell the good. time, you want to get a nice size stick. I'd say maybe like the size of a ruler, 30 centimeters would be a good one. But you can get a big one if you want. It doesn't matter. There's no restriction. No. Big or small. Any stick will do. You just want it to be straight. You want to plant that in the ground and Off make sure go. the sun is shining on it. Yes. <laughs> Done. <laughs> oh, you also need a compass because you need to know where north is. So you need to uh, line up your compass on the ground by your stick until you have north and then use a rock or something else that you have handy to mark where midday is because midday is going to be where north is and then from that point you'll be able to see where six and six are and with and basically what i read about was 12 o'clock is usually quite accurate Mm. being north and everything but the time between six and six which tends to be i guess sunrise and sunset because after that you're fucked there's no sun and you're on your own you have to guess what time it is yeah um it's going to be kind of inaccurate this is just a vague estimate of where it is between six and midday and midday and six but it gives you a rough idea and when we were doing it it was it was usually within about an hour of the time yeah so it was pretty pretty accurate for that scenario it was a useful tool yeah i would say i knew when it was dinner time yeah because i was hungry yeah (laughs) lol (laughs) What did you yeah. bring to the party? Uh, I did all sorts. So, I did, well, one of the things, so, on the rule of three, we needed we needed shelter. We brought a tent. Done. It was easy. Um, we also needed fire. So, I didn't want to just light a fire with a match, because matches are going to, you're going to use up your matches really quickly. You're going to run out, potentially run out of uh, gasoline or whatever in your lighters and stuff. Um, so I bought myself, or I bought us. <laughs> All right, he's already a, not sharing. We're supposed no. to be a community. I enjoyed each it other. too much. I want it. It's like a good toy. Um, like a flint and steel kit. 
So you've got the flint, and then you use the steel, you strike the st- steel against the flint, and it makes a spark, and you use that to start the fire. But and if... how many spark? What? Oh, lots. I think it was like thousands. Thousands. Okay. Yeah. Just wondering how sustainable that is for a post I think I needed. World. I think I created about three sparks before we actually started the fire. Amazing. So you could use it's better than a box of matches. It's almost too easy, really. <laughs> I mean, people have tried to like make this as easy as possible for for us, but True. you know. But it was ten dollars from Canadian Tire, which is Thanks, a Canadian bargain. Tire. Um, and then I just we collected some kindling, so like found some dry grass, and then used one of your tampons as the fire starter. Who knew, guys? So in one of our prepper books, it suggests multiple uses for everyday items, so that you can be carrying things that can be used for lots of different things so you're not wasting space and weight in your bag and it was like well tampons super useful for a whole multitude of things like for a wound to plug up the wound you stick it up your nose if you have a nosebleed exactly for For a period crazy go for it and also as a fire start basically cotton wool in general yeah (laughs) like it, it doesn't have to be a tampon but cotton wool birds and cheeky tip, which we didn't do, is soak your cotton wool or your tampon in Vaseline beforehand, um, because this acts as a um, as a fuel, does uh, the because it's petroleum jelly, but it also doesn't burn very quickly, so it allows you to get that fire actually started. Whereas when you like, so with I used an extra bit of like the grass kindling that I found, but when you. One spark on that tampon, it just went, woof, the whole thing just went up so quickly. Terrifyingly so, quickly. Yeah. Um, Any users of tampons out yeah, there? Just beware. Very flammable. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's a handy tip from, that was in another one of the prepper books, I think, as well. I read that, so that was really useful. And then I brought water to the table because, you know, I'm a scientist and. For my day-to-day job, I do just analyse water. So I thought, you know what? On my weekend off, I'll, I'll spend some spend some more time like dealing with water. Don't worry, he invoiced me afterwards. I did. It was expensive. Services. So the problem with water is your clean running water is going to disappear in an apocalypse, obviously, and bottled water will eventually run out. Um, so you need to source it from lakes, rivers, whatever. It's like our friend who wrote the knowledge was saying it's all about creating like systems sustained. that are sustainable. Yeah. yeah. Not just like quick time fixes, which exactly. would be like going to a supermarket and getting a bottle of water. Yeah. This is something that you can do long term. But a lot of water has a lot of nasty things in it, lots of bacteria, parasites, Bowie. animal poop, yeah. Um so there's loads of different ways you can make your water safe. And I the first place I went to was the the CDC website, so that's the Centre for Disease Control. Um, they say first you have to boil your water. Everyone knows that helps, right? Um, it's a good idea. Um, but they say you want a rolling boil for at least one minute, and if it's cloudy and horrible water, you should filter it first, and that's going to get rid of the majority of your bacteria, but it won't get rid of certain nastier parasites like. Guardia, I think they call it, or Jardia. Um, and you can also use disinfectants. But, I mean, for anyone that's used chlorine tablets when they've been hiking to, like, disinfect water, it is not 
just not nice. So I tried to avoid that this time. Um, but if you do want to go down that route, it's really good. Again, it does the same job as boiling your water. But again, be careful because there's certain parasites that will, won't get killed by bleach. If you're using common household bleach, which is about um, 8.25% uh, sodium hypochlorate solution, um, if you're using that, you want to add about two tiny drops per liter of water. Handy tip. That will dis dis disinfect your water. If it's gross water, though, if it's like cloudy and there's bits in it, double the amount. That's what the CDC say. Ew. But just try to get better water. <laughs> um, but the best thing that I found that you can do is distill your water. So that means allowing your water in some way to evaporate collecting that pure evaporated water on a surface and then collecting it somehow. So there's loads of different ways of doing it. You can you can do it through just letting the water heat up in the sun, just like it forms rainwater, like that sort of thing, and then collecting it in a certain way. Or you can physically heat up your water by boiling it and then collect that steam that comes off as well. First one is either boiling it and then collecting it is probably the best way because you're getting rid of the bacteria through the boil as well, and then collecting the pure water. But in theory, distillation you could even use to make seawater relatively safe to drink as well. Because if you boil it, you're going to leave all your sodium chloride salt crystals in the pan that you're boiling it in, and then you're just going to be collecting pure water. I would probably recommend doing it a few times. <laughs> it will be still probably quite salty. <laughs> um. But so I tried quite a um, rustic method. Yeah. I got a bowl. I collected some water in the bowl. From the sea? From the sea. No, from the lake. From the lake, sorry, it was a yeah, lake. Yeah, it was a lake. Um I then boiled that water because we had we had did have a camping stove with us, so I just wanted to make sure I was definitely gonna make sure it was clean, get rid of bacteria. So I boiled that water and then put it back into the bowl and covered the bowl with cling film like really t as tight as I could. So it was a nice flat surface. Oh, and inside the bowl, I placed a clean empty tin in the middle of the water. So then when the water evaporates, I was kind of helped by the fact that it was still warm from being boiled. It would collect on the cling film above the, uh, at the top of the bowl. But then you place a small rock in the center of the cling film and that allows the droplets of water to travel down. And then you place that rock essentially over the clean container that you want to collect your um, pure water in and it will drip off just underneath where the rock is. Don't use too big a rock so it'll rip your cling film. And the idea is that you would have that in the sunshine and the sunshine would yeah. speed up that process after you've yeah. boiled the water. So there's a few interesting other methods that you can use. One is just digging a really big hole and then covering that with a clear tarp so you can use the water that's already in the ground. So if you say, especially if you're in like a quite a wet area, muddy area, that would work really well. Um, but the best one I found that was just going to be the quickest way of doing it is just get a normal saucepan, because in an apocalypse, you might still be able to carry a saucepan around if you've got a good bug out van. Um, and then get one of the saucepans that has one of the curved lids, tip the lid upside down. If it has a handle, even better, because then you can tie using string your container that you want to collect your water in, in the middle to the handle when it's upside down, but the water will still condense on the lid of the pan 
um, and then drop down into the container in the middle that you want. And you can just stick it on the heat and boil it until it's full. Take that, clean water, go again, boil it until it's full. Really good idea. And you can just make that as big as big as possible to get as much water as you need. Um, Yeah, that's my uh, water. How to do watering when you are in an emergency. Those are good handy tips as well if you just don't have any water supply for whatever reason. true. Or if you think you've got contaminants in your water and you're a bit scared of it, or you drink from a well. So we have covered off quite a lot of the main things that you need. Another thing that I think you would need is some way of defending yourself. Um, We didn't have anything like that, but we did recently go to a Hors Maga class. We would fight those zombies. So I'm, I'm suggesting exactly that. Just bring that zombie on, let him get so close to me I'm about to die, and then I'll just kick his butt with Krav Maga. The other thing we didn't really cover was food and sustainable sources of food. Because, yeah. I don't know, I'm not an expert in like foraging, so I didn't want to go out there and tell people that they should forage. I think if you're going to do that, learn from someone that really knows what they're doing. Exactly. <laughs> like you, you don't were... want to pick poisonous mushrooms and berries and stuff. And you were prepared to taste the water. I did try my water. But that might be going a little Yeah, I would have been a bit nervous if I collected my own food. Um, and yeah, I'm not I'm not one for just going out and hunting for no real reason, if I'm honest. And I think the other thing that is mentioned is essential medicine. So we had our first aid kit with us. Don't know how long that would last, but we're both reasonably familiar with first aid. So mm. I like to think that we could at least stem some bleeding. Yeah. I think we'd be alright there. If you had a heart attack, give you some CPR. Good. Done. Why am I the scared. injured one? What? Because you're the scientist. You're oh, the one okay. that would always die first in the yeah, zombie true, movie. They'd be like, oh, all well, our hopes. We need him to yeah, kill exactly. our dead. Yeah, well, he died and now all that's left is this. But then they build a bell. strong bond. The people that are left, mm-hmm. and uh, it's that collective knowledge yeah. thing we've been talking about. Who needs a scientist when we've got six other people yeah. who can exactly. do various other things, like juggle and do the splits, sure, yoga poses. I don't know. I'm trying to think of things that would be really unhelpful on the zombie apocalypse. But did you know nope. that if you did want to swat up a bit so that you were ready for a zombie apocalypse? There is a zombie survival camp what? in Canada. Why are we not doing this? It's They're based in Ontario, oh. but apparently they go all around Canada delivering these weekend courses to businesses and individuals who wow. want to... And you do things like learn about archery and you do martial arts training. You learn about flora and fauna. You learn hand signals so you can communicate with other people without using your voice. Um, yeah, like literally That's everything. Really cool. How cool is that? Yeah. So really, we should have just like sacked this off and gone on that course. I think we learn a lot of valuable lessons, though. Uh, they wouldn't this. have told me how to make my own clock. Yes. So, but... Doubtful. You know now. So yeah, I think we, we did all right. We did. It was surprisingly not that weird not having sound reception either. Oh, it was quite nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was quite nice, I think. I was immediately worried because like we didn't we didn't know that we were gonna not have star reception. So then I was like, well, now my mom's gonna think I died because yeah. she won't have for me for twenty four hours, and this will be the one time she really wants to get hold of me. Well, because your mom's a boat person as well, she always texts when she's going out on the boat. 
mm-hmm. like to make sure someone knows where she is. So we were like, oh, we should probably have done that as soon as we're going into the yeah. We could have been like, oh, um, navigational coordinates. Yeah, longitude, latitude, X, Y. Departing this time, expecting to be back at seven hundred. Yeah. yeah, should have done that. Surprising that we've managed to last this long. Yeah, in life. Generally. Well, we're just great at surviving on our own. I think that's the. I think that's but the that's take not the away. key. You need to have a community, and two of us isn't enough. No, true. So, should we be worried about the end of the world? Is there something we really need to be preparing for? Yes. Well, people have been predicting the end of the world, as I said, for wow. ever. You've uh, segued great into that. Uh, it's like I'm getting better at this. Yeah. Twenty four episodes in. <laughs> So, um, yeah, there's been so many different uh, doomsday predictions. I think most people will remember various ones that have happened within their lifetime. Mm. But what have we got upcoming? Ooh. So, 2020, Jean Dixon, an American psychic, claimed that Armageddon would take place between 2020 and 2037. Do you want to be too specific? <laughs> <sighs> Probably, yes. When Jesus will return to defeat the unholy trinity of the Antichrist, Satan, and the false prophet. She has also previously predicted the world would end on February 4th, 1962. And uh, was... What? Uh, She was one of the best-known American self-proclaimed psychics and astrologers of the 20th century due to her syndicated newspaper astronomy column. Well-publicised prediction, so she obviously got some stuff right, Mm. and a best-selling biography. However, she did die in 1997, so I feel like telling us that the world's going to end between 2020 and 2037 was a pretty safe bet for her because she won't be here (laughs) for us to ridicule or to witness with us the world ending. Yeah. Thanks so much for that, Jean. She's just like, see you later, guys. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> you're all fucked. Brilliant. So, 2026, another date to be worried about. Ooh. The Messiah Foundation International predicts that the world will end in 2026 when an asteroid will collide with Earth in accordance with Riaz Ahmed Goa Charlotte's predictions in the religion of God. Good. Well, or not. I'm excited. S- seven years from now. It's going to definitely happen. Sometime in 2026. Just block out the whole year. The whole year. Just get your, get your van ready. Or just block out 2020 to 2037. Yeah. Keep that clear. We've got seven years to get ready. You should probably start prepping now. 2617? Do you think that's how we're going to say that? Two two thousand six hundred and seventeen. How are we oh, going to say this year? What? That's. A, I mean, that's a wild prediction. How? Are you what? sure that's not a typo of twenty seventeen? Nope. <laughs> because this one is from renowned physicist Stephen Hawking, ah. who predicted the world's mounting population would consume enough energy to render the world a ball of fire within six hundred years. It's not the first apocalyptic prediction from him either. He declared that effective artificial intelligence could be the biggest event in the history of our civilization, or the worst. I mean, so all good a, a news. Lots of positive. Lots of years ahead of us. Really, just seize the day, everyone. Get your um, B 
BOV ready, your bug out vehicle, your strong uh, first aid kits always useful. BOL bug out location prepared. Oh, we didn't talk about that. For location. when the SHTF the shit hits the fan. Thanks. You love your acronyms. Anything else? No. Fabulous. Well, we have a website, guys. Help wearing a seat dot com. We're on Instagram, Ali Haley with an I. And Dan Space with a D. If you feel like giving us a little rate review on Apple Podcasts, we'd be hugely appreciative. Massive thanks to everyone who's already done that. Really yeah, appreciate it. it. We're now real on Apple Podcasts. You go yeah. on there, we've got some reviews. We look like we're an actual podcast, which is so lovely. So thank you so much for those of you who've done that. We really, really appreciate it. And if you've got any ideas of things that we should try, send us an email. Hello at helpinwearingasuit.com. Any ideas, big or small? We'll consider them. She'll probably make me do it. I'll probably make Dan do it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget. Shed the soup. Escape the everyday. Goodbye. Goodbye.